Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. I bring you today a friend, a colleague. I, I hope to someday aspire to be an activist with the um, with the power and intention that Tracy J brings to her work. So she has inspired me for a very long time now, a couple of years at least. Um, time is weird. But Tracy J is the lead rebel for the quiet rebel. Tracy J curates authentic, grace-filled conversations centered on difficult subjects. Her current offering is a national growing and ongoing conversation on race and culture known as A Hundred Voices, which is how I first met Tracy. Good to see you, Tracy. Hey, Pasha. I, I have to say, and I don't know if you've heard this before, because The Hundred Voices was such a powerful, serious project, I wasn't sure how I could fit into it with my background being um, fairly new to mm -hmm. the scene of difficult conversations and activism. Plus now I have this like supposed playful humorous side. So right. I was very nervous to attempt to hold space for difficult conversations. But honestly, since then, because I loved how you said something along the lines of the graceful conversations, just one human to another, like one person at a time, honestly yeah. took the load off so much. I like, haven't stopped since. I, it yes. just opened me up to not putting so much pressure on myself to be, to know everything or to like stand on big stages. I could just have conversations with one person at a time and try to find understanding. So you brought that to my life and I think it's definitely changed me. So thank you. Oh, yay. That makes me so happy. It's like, yeah, this, all of this is just one human and another human. Yes. And it might be one human and several other humans, but it's just human to human. That's it. Exactly. And, and every time I have a conversation with any human, I find that we have so much more similar and in common than we do different. And it, 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 it gives me a sense of, um, hope that wasn't there before and a sense of belonging that wasn't there before. Um, so how did you, how did you create Quiet Rebel? Where did that come from? So, um, so the Quiet Rebel is an umbrella um, that is intended to hold all things Tracy J. Yeah. Um, it, and it has been an evolutionary process over about seven years now. Um, the, the primary focus has always been conversations in some way. Um, so I've always just wanted to create space where humans could talk to other humans. Yeah. Um, but really talking to other humans about the things that matter. Um, but oddly, or maybe not oddly, because life is life, right? Life. Um, this really started with me wanting to help people have better um, interpersonal or intra, what well, intrapersonal relationships. So the relationship they have with themselves um, and getting a chance to ask ourselves harder questions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was married twice, divorced twice. Um, and I realized that, uh, well, I realized somewhere along the lines of my second marriage unraveling that there was a lot of things I didn't know about myself. Mm. Um, and so there was, there was no way for me to like actually get somebody else to know how I tick 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know those things about myself, right? And so when my husband was saying, I really don't know you, I really don't feel like I know you. And I didn't believe him because I was like, surely you know me because we've been spending all this time together. We are like together in the same space. Like I'm telling you everything I know to tell you. Um, But that's the thing. I was telling him everything I knew to tell him. That's the key right there. Yes. Right. So, so yeah, it's this, this whole quiet rebel journey started without a name and I was teaching a class called Would I Marry Me? Ooh, um, I like it. And um, trying to get people to sort of examine what they bring to a table in any relationship. I think this is so fascinating. Um, it wasn't where I thought we'd go right away, but I'm, but I'm digging it. Because I used to be married to a family therapist, and, and I'm coming at it with this lens of that we're all a system and that the patterns of interaction between the two of us and that we have to understand how we play a part in it and ask ourselves exactly like you're saying the hard questions and until we trust and love ourselves how could we expect anybody else to trust and love us and until we understand ourselves how could we expect anybody else to understand us um so what are what's an example for you of a hard question you asked yourself to get to a place of deeper awareness so that you could want to marry yourself and then potentially want to have a partnership um, so one of the things I have really had to struggle with, I really had to like pull apart was my relationship with time and my relationship with money. Um, and how I really didn't have a good relationship with money because I never really had to, like, I went from being a, a, a child, basically being my parents' child to being a spouse mm-hmm. and, and a, and a very like a, a, dependent spouse not like a partnership spouse mm-hmm. um in the first marriage i was totally a dependent spouse and so i didn't really have a relationship with money that i could explain yes. because somebody had always done everything for me yes and when i got divorced the first time and got remarried it was in very short order and so i never actually had a chance to develop a relationship with money independently yes um so that was a a big thing that i really needed to like work out and work through mm-hmm. and it a lot of tension and conflict um because money is a huge situation in relationships well in partnerships of any kind really but in a, yes. in a marriage or a long-term romantic situation money is a big deal mm-hmm. uh, and I had a bad habit of sort of downplaying it because I really didn't understand it. Um, and then I have this other, this relationship with time, right? And that's a relationship I did understand. I really felt like, still feel like time is very precious, that you only get a certain amount of it, that you can't replicate it, you can't get it back. Um, and once it's gone, it's gone. And so I don't like to waste it. Mm. And when I'm in situations where I feel like my time is being wasted, then I am not the nicest person. <laughs> do you have very clear boundaries? Like, do you just walk away quickly? Well, I, I, my boundaries are getting better. That was the other part of that dilemma, right? That I was frustrated and not very nice, but my boundaries were very fluid. Yeah. Yes. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also had a problem with people pleasing, right? Mm-hmm. So my boundaries over here are being trampled 
but they weren't clear. Right. And I was sucking it all in because I didn't want to upset other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it took a while for me to unravel those two big things. And there was a lot of other stuff in the course, but like those two big things, time and money, hands down. Really big. Yeah. And now that you have a clearer relationship with time and money, do you find yourself being drawn to partnership or to spending more time alone? Alone. Yeah. And that's yeah. what fuels you. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Um... So one of the things I've discovered, and I re- this is relatively recent discovery, right, is that I used to feel like I needed to be married. I needed to have a partner and it was because I didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust myself to adults on my own. And because I had been someone else's dependent for so long, I felt like I needed that dependency. Mm-hmm. Well, now that I don't feel like I need that, I um, can approach the the world of relationship as a from a place of desire as a place of need yes. and that feels so much better for me yes and did you find that in those moments alone without partnership is where you built the courage and strength to be an activist and start 100 voices was that after your divorce that you were able to come into that courage i yes i um hadn't actually put it together in that way in my brain until just this moment when you asked the question, but, but yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think, um, if I had stayed married and, and to be clear, the, the ending of my second marriage was not my decision. It was a decision that was made for me, um, that I did not agree with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now I'm able to see that decision as a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really grateful to that spouse for saying, this isn't working. We need to do something else. Um, it, it, for him, it came from a place of he was unhappy, whereas I was not feeling that same unhappiness and was confused about his unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in hindsight, I can totally see how I was not living into my full self and how I was, um, placating um, in order to to present a version of myself that I thought was making him happy. Yes. When it turned out that version of myself was not making him happy at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I didn't know how to unwind it. And if I had stayed married, I probably would still be spiraling trying to figure out how to unwind it. And do you have a, a friendship or relationship now, now that you've evolved and changed? And I'm curious. We are friends. I do Hi. consider you a friend. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's come. It's it's a beautiful place to to land where you see these because um, these hardships and heartaches as a as a gift. But you're coming at it from such a place of of empathy and curiosity and generosity that it that it's um, that it's becoming a gift. It's beautiful. Yes. Yes. And so in your, I love that you, because I don't know when I talk to you, if we're going to have a very serious conversation or playful conversation, because I feel like we could talk about like systemic racism or pie. Like, I don't know. And I love that you're, that you like are 
can do this. And I love this paradox because I, I think I'm the same um, where I hold um, like trauma and pleasure in the same breath and the darkness and the light and the, and the seriousness and the playfulness. But you come at that very intentionally as well that you, that you find, um, I can't remember how you, oh, feeding the happy, like that you yes. intentionally do that despite all the very serious things that are happening in your life and the world. Yeah, that, um, that phrase, feed the happy, um, came sort of by accident over a meal with a friend who is now no longer with us and I miss her so much mm. um and she was a person who like you know you go to a conference and you just like hone in on a human and you're like that's somebody I need to know yeah right? I love that she was, feeling she was one of those people right I was just like I don't know what it is about this woman but I'm supposed to know her right did you say that to her did you go up to her and say that I didn't, I don't think I used those words because I don't think I was quite this, um, I don't know, brave or straightforward at that time when we met. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did like, you know, introduce myself and tell her I really enjoyed she offered to the group and uh, asked her if she would have coffee with me. And so, yeah, so we, we went to breakfast um, that, that first time and I'm sitting there eating my... Um, challah bread french toast which was amazing and and i was like just on the cusp of this divorce and like really wanting to turn into a puddle at the table with this lady um and she her uh, background was in the feldenkrais method i don't know if you're familiar with that but it's like a body movement thing that oh, helps fine. you okay i yes yes a little bit a little bit right so i had never heard of this before but she was talking about Feldenkrais and I was talking about would I marry me and um, how those two things might somehow work together. And I was just like trying to turn it to like a puddle at the table. And I was enjoying this French toast in the same breath and the same bite. And I was like, you know what? I'm this freaking bread is making me so happy. And I'm just going to, I'm going to feed that. I'm going to feed the happy. And she was like, yes, feed the happy. So then first it felt like it was about food because that was the like the thing that triggered it for me. But then I was like, no, like seriously, I need to figure out what makes me happy and do that as often as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, my ex-husband who I was in that moment grieving uh, has this expression, um, what we feed grows and what we starve dies. Yes. And, um, and that was the thing I wanted to, to grow was this, mm. this amount of happiness that I was experiencing. And so I decided I would feed it. And so that, that is my, the mantra that I live by. It, it has carried me forth from the end of that divorce until this moment sitting here. Beautiful. And do you hold space for, uh, for the sadness and the rage and all the other emotions that, that certainly come up? Do you limit the amount of time you're in that space or how do you set the boundaries um, for when you want to honor all the emotions? I, I um, am now in a place where I can just let emotions be what they want to be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not trying to shut them off. I'm not trying to hide from them. Mm -hmm. They are what they are. Mm -hmm. um, and I have felt a lot of them recently. Mm -hmm. um, there's been some extreme grief. There has been some extreme frustration. 
Um, and also there's a lot of joy. Like my, my days are very, very happy. Mm. So they, they coexist all of those things. Yes. When I first met you, you told me about your bubble meditation and it, it stuck with me. I think it's a beautiful image. Can you explain it to people? Yes. And I was hoping that I had some bubbles like within oh. hand because I almost always do. I don't see any right now though, but, um, but I blow bubbles as a way to help me remember to breathe. Mm. And, um, and I, f- I found that at least early on when I was trying to learn to meditate that like standard meditation where you're supposed to steal yourself and steal your mind and all those that it didn't work for me. Like I'm, my brain is constantly mm-hmm. all over the world and I couldn't, I could, I couldn't get it together. Pasha, I was trying, but it wasn't Pasha. working. <laughs> but then I found that when I was blowing bubbles, my breath was intentional. The inhale and the release to get the bubbles out was very intentional. Mm. And, um, and also it gave me a great visual of just like watching the things that were troubling me blow away. Yes. And so, um, and so it literally became my meditation. Like I just would stop and blow bubbles and, um, and it doesn't take long, like a couple of minutes. You just like get that good rhythm of good breathing and watching things float away from you. And then I could go back to my life. It's so brilliant and simple. Did you create this? It's just because in yoga classes, I'll talk about, you know, let's imagine all of our troubles or worries or the clouds and the clouds, you know, you know, drift away or the water of a stream like carries your troubles downstream. But then I love that it's intentional and physical and visual and playful. I mean, there's this like getting back into childhood aspect of it. That's so pleasurable. Yeah. And pre-pandemic, I was actually teaching bubble meditation classes, but, um, but, you know, you can't go around like blowing your breath on people and, you know, like COVID it's like, (laughs) that's true. Well, and do you love that? (laughs) Do you bubble? Cause it's soap, right? Do you have like soap stains all over your house? Like little bubble juice blobs? I don't know. If I were paying attention to that kind of thing, I probably do, but (laughs) who cares if there's a bubble stain i don't know i live alone i don't care if there's bubble stains all over my sheets i don't care (laughs) i love it i love it the i think the first time we uh talked in person through zoom of course um i you were you were you were feeling some heavy emotions and you were choosing to make pie and um and it was this is beautiful. I just remember, and then, and then just holding space for the pleasure of creating it, and then eating it, and then there wasn't a you know because all all of my uh, unfortunate conditioning of like, well, don't eat the whole pie in one sitting, you know, like all these voices came out of my head, and then, but I was so you know rooting for you to just devour and enjoy this pie, even though I would feel like I had to deprive myself. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting this, that whenever I, um, I, I see you now, I see you in this image of just a powerful woman holding space for these very difficult and, and graceful conversations while blowing bubbles and eating pie. (laughs) 
it's just this beautiful blend, which feels very balanced and, and, and kind to yourself, right? Yes. I feel like the sun is not being kind to me right now. Like, like I'm drifting into the background, which is not like a, you know how sometimes you put up a zoom background and yeah. your sort of vanishes into the, yes, this, this is just the sunshine. It's trying to suck me in. So it's a, <laughs> I look how I it's you look you look beautiful and and you're you're backlit it's glowy and angelic <laughs> you do you feel because you created the hundred voices and because people you know now look to you for advice and wisdom and perspective do you feel like some days it's just too much too exhausting so you have to step away from from it like how do you how do you balance that like the the needs of society and people to yeah yeah so um i i do find or i have found that um 100 voices has been a catapult for me um into doing work that i really believe i was born to do um which is creating space, holding space for difficult conversations. And this particular conversation around race and culture, um, which has been a thing my whole life and all the lives before mine, um, but also like it's very present right now. Yeah. Um, and I get to just be one little cog in the wheel of change for it. And so I'm excited about that. So most days, I really am excited that I get to do the work I feel like I was born to do. Cool. And also there are days where the world is a shitstorm, and I'm just like, really? This is what we're doing today? I don't, yeah, no. I'm, I'm done with all humans today. I cannot participate in this fuckery and foolishness that y'all got going on, and we're going to sit this one out. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes. And you allow yourself to sit it out. That's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And that refuels you as an introvert. I assume having that time to yourself by with your bubbles, you know, and just your own thoughts. Yeah. 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 And um, did you choose this? What were you before you were the quiet rebel as your work? What was your work prior? Because I assume you chose this vocation quite intentionally. Uh, Yeah. So um, actually this vocation chose me. I didn't really intentionally choose it i thought when i did 100 voices the the first event in houston i thought it was going to be maybe the only one and i thought um maybe at best it would be an annual event that i would have in houston like that's as far as my thinking went with it that was the plan mm-hmm. uh, so i did not i did not intend for that to be the like the focus or the work of the quiet rebel at that time at that time I was teaching bubble meditations and I was um, holding silent retreats and like helping people be in better communications with themselves and um, consequently better communications with the people around them because they were doing better with themselves. Yes. Um, and the, um, the questions for 100 Voices were born out of that same space. It's the same energy because all of the questions are focused on somebody's lived experience. And so it's more about sharing who you are than like what the world is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so I didn't, I didn't know 
I didn't, uh, I didn't when know. did you find or figure out or, or, um, accept and embrace the idea that this was going to go nationwide, possibly even international by now. I, 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 I saw it in its like earlier stages where it's branching out to major cities. Where yeah. is it now? Where's a hundred voices taking you? So where 100 voices is now is in the side of um, corporate spaces. Ah, good. And it, it's so exciting that, yeah. um, that I get to, to go into organizations that are really um, tentative about starting this kind of conversation with their staff, shareholders, and you know stakeholders of all kinds, and um, and that we can do it honestly, and that it can also be part of a more comprehensive sort of um, what I call human-centered um, equity training, as opposed to diversity and inclusion. Um, that that we can start with this conversation, but then see how we can be better humans in all the work we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, so beyond 100 voices now, I'm also offering human-centered equity trainings and in corporate spaces. And so I'm excited about that. That's incredible. And what are, what is a difficult conversation you think corporations need to be asking themselves right now? Um, if our, um, if our words and our actions align, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a lot of places who like, you know, a year ago, put up the black square on their social media or who wrote these lovely eloquent statements about how they are, um, <clears throat> embracing equity in their workplaces. And, but, but in the real life, their employees were quitting or not feeling seen, heard, appreciated love in their actual workspaces. Um, in my in my mind, it's um, sort of similar to how um, Americans will go to other countries mm-hmm. and do all this humanitarian stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? We want to go save the whole planet, mm-hmm. right? And those poor starving babies in whatever name country you want to pick in on the continent of Africa, right? they are struggling so much and we need to bring them our Christianity and we need to bring them our educational systems and we need to bring them stuff they didn't ask for. Right. Cause they need it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you got neighbors mm-hmm. who need all the same things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you don't see those neighbors. Mm-hmm. You don't want to interact with those people who are right next door to you, right in your breath space every day, um, and continue to see those people as other. Yeah. And so I feel like corporations do much the same thing, yes. right? They're like, oh, no, we are all about equity. We um, want to absolutely represent diversity in all of our business doings and we're going to put one black face and one latina face and one asian face in every poster we put out the end (laughs) the end Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um but then inside the spaces where people need to get the work done you aren't hearing from people who have differing opinions or different life experiences you aren't celebrating those people you aren't embracing who they are as full humans um we want people to conform to who we to who we are as opposed to accept, accepting them for who they are. Yeah. Um, 
So like earlier you mentioned, and I hear this a lot, um, that um, <laughs> inside these conversations, we get to hear how people are similar. Yes. Right. Which is great. But also we get to hear how people are different mm-hmm. and there's absolutely nothing wrong with being different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all, all of us are different. And I think it is our fear of difference mm-hmm. that keeps in these little boxes, right? Mm-hmm. We want to find what's the same. Mm-hmm. I need you to be like me so I can like you. Mm-hmm. But how come I can't just like you because you're you? Yeah, yeah, right. Why, why are we seeking the similarities for comfort? Right. Yeah. So, and when I hear people say that, when I heard you say it, it didn't make me cringe because I know it's a thing that we do, right? We really want to know how we, how is this person like me and yeah. where can I find common ground? I'm so glad you, you're challenging me and others on it in such a graceful, compassionate way, because I, this is, a, this is why I love you, Tracy, because, <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm not feeling defensive. I'm just open. I'm open to learning. So how, um, because I think that's what I think, but that's not what I said and maybe it's not what I think because I don't know what I think because I haven't figured it out yet and all this. So, yes. Yeah. So what what's a better way to language that? Um, I just think we just need to figure out how to coexist peacefully with other humans. Yes. Regardless, okay. regardless of how they come to us. Yes. Right. I grew up in a house with a sister. Right. She's my only sibling. There's four years between us, roughly four years. And she and I are very different. Mm very very different we grew up in the same house we have the same parents our parents are still married 52 years they live in the same house where we grew up that's amazing right magical magical right (laughs) um prior to the cosby scandal i would have been happy with the reference that we were the cosby family like that is that is the picture that people painted of us growing up Mm -hmm. right middle class working family this is, this is where I came from, right? I don't love my sister any less because we are very, very different. Yes, yes. We operate in the world in very different ways. And sure, we came from the same family. So there are some similarities and I could always hone in on those similarities and I could always point them out and say, yeah. we laugh the same or we have similar senses of humor or whatever. But at the end of the day, like if you didn't know we were sisters, you might not know we were related because we're very, very different. Mm. Which is also what makes it interesting as we branch out to this, you know, in friendships, relationships, corporations, communities. Of course, that's what makes it far more exciting, interesting, vibrant. Um, So, yes, it's it's interesting because my mindset was certainly um, find the the commonalities of humanity so that we could have a conversation so that I wasn't coming at it with rage, <laughs> but, um, but to, but to come at conversations with the, um, with the awareness and the welcoming of our differences and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a shift in mentality, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's a programming and conditioning that we yeah. have had yeah. since Right. It's a, it's a human thing to want to, to belong. Right. 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 And I, I have this um, relationship with that word as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as a black person mm-hmm. in America, um, the idea of belonging to someone else really um, sits in my DNA in a way that I, that I don't appreciate. 
right? Because thank we actually you. did belong to people. Yes. Thank you for explaining that. Thank you. Yeah. Which really property, right? Yes. Um, and so, and the same with being a woman in a, in a Western dominated culture, yes. right? Who, who has been um, enculturated with, with uh, patriarchy, right? Yes. Like that. Up until like 1972, a woman couldn't even get a mortgage or bank account without a male signature. Right. And so the idea of belonging in that sense, as a woman, like I'm, I belong to this man, right. Or I belong to my spouse, you know, gender not be damned. Right. Like I belong to this other human. I don't want to belong to anyone or really to anything, but I rather belong with, right. So, mm. so the belonging is still like attached to me. Like I belong where I am. Mm-hmm. Right. And do I belong with this organization? Do I belong with this other human? Absolutely. Can we coexist peacefully in the same space? Absolutely. But I don't belong to you. I don't so belong. belong. Yes. So belonging with rather than belonging to, because yeah, I've got Brene Brown stuck in my head because I just listen to her all the time. She's like, you know, don't aim for fitting in, fitting in for belonging or aim for belonging. And, um, and do you have another word that you, that you use uh, for yourself or for corporations outside of belonging, or do you focus on the belonging with? No, I think belonging with like, and I, I, I love Brene Brown, right? And she's a Houstonian. And I think we have very similar personalities, even though I don't think, she, I don't know if she would know that. Um, she actually used to belong to the church that I worked at for a really long time. And so I, I remember when she was teaching classes for Sunday school. So like I, I have a, like the two degrees of separation from Brene Brown in any yeah. direction. Yeah. Right. And I love her. And I love her work. And I, um, and I, totally like she studied shame and belonging for 20 years like I'm not going to argue with her with her research right right right. Um, and also in her own words lived experience trumps research and so for me for my lived experience I feel like it is better to belong with than to belong to Mm -hmm. and 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 as soon as I love that as soon as we orientate ourselves towards an idea we see it everywhere because even when you said Brene Brown belonged to this specific church. I'm thinking, of course, we don't want to belong to a church. We want to belong with a church. Or, and, and so now um, somebody the other day said, um, the doctor who delivered my baby. And we were shifting this to the doctor didn't deliver your baby. You delivered your baby. And so now I will never hear that the same. So the same with this belonging to and with, I will never hear it the same. And I'll try to catch it in my own thoughts as well. Um, so, I, and it's, and it's simple and it's, um, and it's like as much as my brain can handle right now, but it's big. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, so I appreciate it. Cause it's, it's that kind of shift that, that makes, a world of change and difference. So, um, so thank you. Um, I'm, I'm like absorbing. Is there anything you want to more that you want to say about that belonging with and belonging to? Well, I was just going to, I will add that it's sometimes change is as simple as one word. Yes. That's what it's feeling like right now. Right. I have a friend, um, who anytime she says, um, like I have to go to work, she changes it immediately to, I get to go to work. Because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, that one word is a big shift. Yes. Right? yes. Um, and so in my work with the quiet rebel, I say that I do incremental and organic shifts. 
Yes. Right. And so for me, that one shift from four belonging, I mean, belonging to, to belonging with is an incremental and organic shift. It's just one word that reshapes the way you see an entire system of things. Absolutely. I have goosebumps. Not that it matters what I'm going through right now, but I'd like, I'd like, I know that I don't, you love those moments where you feel a shift and you know, it's going to change your cellular <laughs> dynamic. Like it's going to, it change, it's going to change how I uh, think and speak. So thank you. Thank you. And when it's kind of circling back or maybe, um, or maybe even wrapping up, I'm not sure, but when you spoke about corporations, um, you know, saying something, but not, but not doing it, not following through, or like a year ago posting the black square and then now not being, um, as inclusive as they would claim. I was thinking back to our very first part of the conversation with how we do this in our marriages and how we need to do this for ourselves. You know, are we holding ourselves accountable to our words? Are we integrous? Do we, um, can we trust ourselves in our word? And then can we, you know, ask for that trust in a relationship? And then can we ask for that trust as a business partner and as a corporation? And I think, to come back to your original statement, like it all begins with, with us. And if that means at first I say, I'm going to very small scale, weed my garden. And then I weed my garden and I hold myself accountable to that. That starts to build my own self worth and trust inside myself, which allows me the, the strength and courage to then have perhaps a difficult conversation that I was not having with my spouse or my child. Right. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Ah. Yeah. Um, the most difficult conversations we will ever have are the ones we have with ourselves. Yes. Yes. Because um, we are our own worst critics. We hold ourselves to a different standard than we hold the rest of the world. And if we can look ourselves in the face and we can be honest with the person we see, then um, it's a lot easier for us to have um, better, more fruitful, more honest conversations with other people. Mm -hmm. Right. It's mm -hmm. not because... I'm trying to get you to do something that I'm not willing to do, right? Is another thing that happens in management, right? We um, have all these big bosses want to go around, tell people what to do, but they won't get their hands dirty, right? I'm going to get my hands dirty because I'm going to do the work on Tracy first. Yes, yes. Right? And then after I've done the work on Tracy and I see that it's successful, then I will invite somebody else to come and do this work with me. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it is hard and dirty and, <laughs> and, um, and exhausting, which is why we also need to come back before we wrap it up to bubbles and pie and breath and pleasure. Because if you only have the hard conversations with yourself, and if you're only, you know, in that kind of heavy space within your brain, you are going to get, you are going to be tired and you're <laughs> going to want to quit. So continuously refueling ourselves um, out of self-love and worth uh, to, um, to play, to pleasure, to leisure, to rest. What else? Yep. To, to eat, to <laughs> bubble. To, to whatever feeds you happy. Yeah, right? feeds you happy. Yeah. What, feed, what feeds my happy is not necessarily what feeds yours. Nope. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and if you and I are together and we can't agree on the thing that feeds our happy, then, then I get to say, that's okay, Pasha, do you? Yes. Yeah. What's going to make you happy in this moment? And as long as what's making you happy in this moment does not cause me harm, 
Yes. Yes. Then I'm happy for your happiness. Yes. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to try the bubbles, but I might not like the bubbles. I think it's very, I think it's brilliant. Um, I like having like hard conversations. My husband's like, why is this fun for you? Why is it you're crying? You're, you're snotting. Like, why is this fun for you? I'm just like, I feel alive when I'm having a hard conversation. Um, so it is fun. It does bring me pleasure. Um, I can't, I shouldn't do it as much as I do it because I do perhaps too much because I need to also step into the pleasure and the, and the rest because I can't meditate any longer because my head is on fire all the time. Well, so, okay. So Pasha, in my, in my work and on my wall behind me, love. there's this um, acronym for love and it is how I guide conversations. Okay. Um, and Having a hard conversation does not have to also have snot and crying. It can, it, oh, <laughs> we can, we can, um, I think it's, uh, uh, ah, I can't think of her name right now. Glennon Doyle. Okay. We, we can do hard things. We can do hard things. We can do hard things, right? Um, and having a difficult conversation is a hard thing, but it does not have to be painful in this way that we make them painful, right? So love is an acronym. And I always say we start conversations with love. Love first always is how I sign my emails. It's how I like present things to the world. L is listen with your heart. O is observe young biases. V is venture into unfamiliar territory. And E is expect the best. Mm. Mm. And so that's the one that E. I, the, e. the E is what I've been thinking of in my head this week as coming at things with generos with generosity and a little more hope. Um, mm -hmm. because I'm expecting it to be difficult. I'm expecting it to be a battle. I'm expecting that our differences will make it harder and tears and snot and all that. Um, so expecting the best, this is what I need to work on. Thank yeah. you. I forgot. I missed the E. <laughs> Expect the best. And so again, back to differences, right? Like the differences don't have to scare us. Yes. Right. Yes. The differences don't have to make us defensive. Mm -hmm. The differences are just facts. Like mm -hmm. people, every person you meet in your life is going to be different from you. Yes. Every single one. Now, surely there will be some things that are similar, but that doesn't have to be the place where you connect. Yeah. Right. So, right. Yeah. Oh, Tracy Day. <laughs> You're, you came to us today with an authentic, graceful conversation. You opened my eyes. I am, I'm hoping that in my messy naivete and sloppy languaging i was reaching out to somebody out there who maybe felt the same and, and is opening their eyes in a similar way um yes thank you thank you for always being so um gracious and frankly patient with with uh our process so yeah i, I have raised three daughters to adulthood so you did three teenage girls <laughs> nothing yeah. So, so patience comes with the, with the conditioning. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Thank you so much, Tracy J. How can people reach you, find you, follow you, continue the conversation with you? Yeah, so um, so I am, as they say, Googleable. Googleable. <laughs> um, as long as you spell my name correctly, Tracy with an I-E, last name J-A-E. And um, so I, if you search for me by my name, you will find me. Um, yes. So my website is quietrebellife.com. I'm on Instagram at quietrebel.life. I'm also on Twitter. Um, yes. So. Uh, yes, I, I find you're easy to actually my my computer knows you so well as soon as I make a T, you come up. So that's how that's how important you are in my world. Yeah, yes, always easy uh, to find you and a pleasure to follow you. And I and I do love the that that I never know if I'm gonna get the 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 playful or the serious, and they both open my heart and mind every time. They they coexist, so they you coexist. Get them. Yeah, which is pretty much the theme of this podcast. Let <laughs> that it can coexist, and that paradox is life. And um, so, thank you, Tracy J. Thank, thank you, you ev- yay! Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I I hope you you know learn something, unlearn something. I hope you share this podcast. Um, please, if you ha- could take a moment to subscribe and, and like it and comment or review it, that would be amazing as well. If you want to continue the conversation with me in the links, along with all of Tracy's links, I will post um, a free Calendly link or a liberation call, I call it, which is just a free call with me to let's talk. I love talking to the uh, listeners. And um website is Pasha Marlowe, but you can just as easily find me by my name, Pasha Marlowe on webs- uh, Facebook, Pasha Marlowe on Instagram. Um, easy. So, so yeah, Tracy, I look forward to hearing from you all and, and hearing your thoughts on this grace-filled, often messy. <laughs> oh, can I tell you something funny before Please. we actually start? Yeah. So I was sharing your book, right? Oh yeah. Thank you. My social media. And people thought I was making an announcement. Like folks thought I was coming out. That's so true. And I was not. I was not making an announcement. I was not coming out. Tracy's um, not a lesbian. <laughs> I'm not a lesbian. I love women and I think women are beautiful and lovely and wonderful. And also I really like men. So <laughs> you just want to make sure that's out there. I just want to make sure that's clear. In case there's some, you know, man out there that's looking for somebody who doesn't actually want to be partnered. Like, <laughs> in case all my listeners are not bisexual women and lesbians, if there is a man out there listening, Tracy wants you to know she is not a lesbian. Right. I'm not, <laughs> you know, not, nothing at all. No, no problems with lesbianism. No. But however, I was not making that announcement. But you're not looking for a man. You just are one to open yourself up to everybody knowing. Got it. That's all. <laughs> I love it. And when you posted my book, thank you for sharing my book. The book is called My Next Husband Will Be a Lesbian and I'm Married to a Man. So that that's a whole nother story. But um, but yes, I thought you were coming out as well. And you would just make such a fantastic lesbian just to let you know. <laughs> Listen, love is love is love is love is love. Who wouldn't want to partner with you? I would say that, you know, you would make a fantastic partner to anybody and you don't need to because you're so good with yourself. Great partnerships with women. I just don't want to have sex with them. That's all. 
I am glad we cleared that up. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Tracy. Enjoy your day, everybody. Bye, y'all. Keep eating happy. <laughs>